Hi guys, it's your girl Boonie and you're listening to episode 18 of the Boonie Breakdown Podcast. Can you guys believe we're already at episode 18? Oh my god, that's insane. Like I just cannot believe that people want to hear what I have to say or hear what my friends have to say or the people that I invite back on. Um, but thank you for listening and sticking with us and referring the, the podcast to a friend. Uh, today I have Larissa of the Lotus and Vines. So maybe that's a key to what we're going to talk about. Um, yeah, we're going to get a crash course on all things about wine, guys. So I hope you're excited for this one. Um, there should be some new posts up on the booniebreakdown.com. Um, uh, this is a message to myself because at the time as I'm recording this, I have not written any yet. So hopefully by the time this airs, there are some. So make sure you go to booniebreakdown.com to read those. Uh, thank you guys for sharing the podcast. You know, you guys are becoming pros at this. So we feel free, like I said last week, to live tweet an episode. Um, use the hashtag the Booney Breakdown so I can see what you guys are saying about the podcast. Use the hashtag pod in, P-O-D-I-N, so others can see it. Someone asked me, what is that hashtag? Because it's not branded for my podcast. But the Boonie Breakdown is a part of the Pods in Color community, which is the brainchild of Barry. And she is dope and awesome for putting together this resource for podcasters of color to showcase and house their podcasts and to reach, you know, new listeners or to see what other podcasters are doing. So that is what the hashtag pod in is for, for that larger community to see what people are listening to. So just make sure you use both of them when you're telling other people about the podcast. That's it. You guys are dope. I love you. Uh, so let's get ready to break it down. Ow. Hey guys, it's your girl Boonie, and I'm here for episode 18, I believe. And I have Larissa Dubose, who is a amazing wine connoisseur. Like I've learned so much in a brief period of time about the credentials you could have in wine. So welcome, Larissa. Thank you. Hey everybody. <laughs> so you have a company. It's new, and it's the Lotus and the Vines. Yes. So first, can you tell us why you started your company and how you came up with your name? Absolutely. So um, just a little bit about myself, just to give you a little bit of background. I've been in the industry, the wine industry now, for a little over seven years. So I started out in Maryland um, on the distributor side, and I was um, what they call an on-premise sales rep. And uh, on-premise in our world just means that you call on restaurants, hotels, lounges, clubs, gentlemen's clubs, the like. Um, pretty much places where food can be served. And um, my husband and I, we moved down to Atlanta, and that's when I um, eventually got to the supplier side. So, um, Nice. So can you tell us around the time that you got interested in the wine industry, please? That's It was probably around 2012 when um, my true spark for wine really kicked in. Uh, Gallo, which is a really large supplier in the wine world, um, you've probably heard of barefoot <laughs> or um, La Marca Prosecco or Louis Martini. Um, they're a huge supplier. They gave us an incentive trip when I was living in Maryland and they took us to Sonoma and Napa. 
Oh, nice. Yeah. So, you know, that was my first like real exposure to wine country. And I remember we went to McMurray Ranch and uh, went to, I believe it's like Inspiration Point. It's like this, this uh, hilltop in the vineyard where you can see the Russian River Valley and Sonoma just kind of meandering through. And this like one glory thug tear dropped from my face. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I need to do this more and I'm going to. So when we moved to Atlanta, that's when I started working specifically just with wine. I didn't do liquor anymore. And um, it's been a really cool ride. Cool. So can you tell us how you came up with your company, The Lotus and the Vines? Like, what was your inspiration and what caused you to really just make your own brand? The reason that I came up with uh, The Lotus and the Vines, I Googled Black women um, and wine or Black women sommeliers. And when I Googled that, the first article, and it's going to be probably a little bit different now because there's, I see there's a movement that's happening and I'm here for it. But the very first thing that popped up was the story about the black women, the book club oh, on that, that got kicked off train. on that Napa Valley train. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it enrages probably a bit much, but it, def, it, uh, it irritated me. It irritated my soul because, you know, in my tenure, you know, for the most part, I've always been the only one in the room, the only sister in the room. I used to work for a winery where I had six states down here in the Southeast. I had North Carolina, South Carolina, um, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, and Mississippi. And I can literally count on one hand the amount of African-American sales reps that I ran into, suppliers that I ran into. And it just boggled my mind, especially being here in Atlanta. You know, this is, you know, the Black Hollywood, um, very progressive down here. And, you know, I remember talking with uh, uh, a young lady, she owns a wine shop. It's, um, I won't throw out the plug yet, but she owns a wine shop and she's a sister. <laughs> but she's here, she's from here. And I asked her, I said, you know, how many black women do you know in the wine world? Not spirits, wine world. And she thought about it. She's like, including you, like three. And what I started to understand was, you know, when it comes to our culture and our exposure to wine, um, we just didn't have it. We didn't have, um, you know, the resources, our parents, maybe for religious purposes. I mean, I grew up in a very religious, spiritual household. We were in church at least, you know, three, four times a week. My, my parents didn't drink like that. And it wasn't until I got into the liquor and wine industry that I really started to expose myself. And I really wanted to learn more. And it wasn't until that trip to Napa and Sonoma that it took my interest. It piqued my interest. And I said that I wanted to do something. I knew that this was going to be my career for the rest of my career. Awesome. But I wanted to share that with our culture. That's an interesting point that you make about sharing it with our culture because I do think that there is a kind of a divide. I mean, and it's interesting that it's in wine, but wine is kind of a luxury item that we've just started tiptoeing in. So I do think that's interesting that you saw that need and took advantage of it. Like, you know, wine can be really intimidating for a lot of people. There's power in wine and wine knowledge. If you think about, you know, in the corporate world, you know, when you're having these conversations with C-level executives, most of them have a wine cellar because it's the thing to do, whether they're, you know, true connoisseurs or not. Or 
How many times have you gone to a business dinner or a business meeting and the wine list comes and because you don't have the knowledge or you're, you know, you're not confident, you pass the wine list on to someone else and literally punt your budget. You punt your budget to someone who may or may not know that you can only spend X, Y, Z amount of dollars on this bill before you have to start adding names to make it look (laughs) right. And, you know, whereas, you know, you can, you know, as the host or the hostess, you know, the server or the sommelier can give you the wine list and you can ask the table a couple of questions and make an educated decision on what's going to be the best wine for the table or a couple wines for the table. Um, I wanted to give my people that power because, um, you know, we deserve to have a seat at the table. And, you know, there are just so many times where we, you know, we have these opportunities, but we, you know, don't even know about them. Okay, so can you give us an example of one of those opportunities? Like someone might be listening, like, you know, I get what she's saying, but I don't get it. So give us like an example. I was out with my husband, one of his clients from Baltimore had come into town and we went to this very fancy restaurant. And this is a table, I think, Besides the um, physician's wife, I was the only other female at the table. And it was a table of like, you know, 10 gentlemen. And the wine list comes and the doctor who, now mind you, we're not the hosts. We were invited. (laughs) The doctor who the host was, you know, whining and dining, um, the host gave the wine list to the doctor. The doctor then in turn gave the wine list to me. And something in that moment um, resonated with me. I was like, wow, like, obviously he knows I'm a wine professional and I'm, you know, very passionate and I've been doing this for a long time. But, you know, to think about that poor host who (laughs) (laughs) had already punted his budget, but then here I come and I was very gracious. I didn't, you know, pick the most expensive thing. I picked something that was, you know, very appropriate for the table and very middle. I knew where his budget was probably going to be. but I want more people to have that experience. I want more people to have that confidence. And that's really what's kind of driving me right now with the Lotus and the Vine. So, you know, my tagline is, you know, wine education, period, for the culture, period. Huh. So that's kind of where we are right now. I like it because you're right. Most people just have a basic working knowledge of wine. And I'll even speak for like myself. It's to me, it's like, wine either tastes nasty or it's good and so i'll drink it like like when people ask like do you like a chardonnay or what i you know i really don't have a preference i just know either it tastes good or it doesn't and that's pretty much the summation of my knowledge um right and so you mentioned really quick since you said it you mentioned your trip to napa and sonoma would you have, because I want to get there, which is funny because like, I don't have that appreciation or that's, that knowledge of wine, but uh-huh. um, I want to get to Napa, but the only kind of like wine tour that I've done was when I went to South Africa. And so, uh-huh. which was- There's some amazing wines there. It, they really were. Um, uh-huh. And I think some of the vineyards did a better job in- explaining and selling and pairing their wine so yeah. it worked mm-hmm. um but would you recommend i guess international or domestic like any amazing wine trips that people should take 
You know, I don't know of, I know that uh, there is a movement for, you know, specific travel groups that are, that actually might be something I need to add to my list of things to, <laughs> to, to, to put together a tour because, you know, you once you're in the industry, you just start to, you know, the industry gets very small very quickly. But, um, you know, while I don't have anything to recommend as far as a particular um, group or service that offers that, um, you know, I'm, you know, give myself a plug. If someone's making a trip and they're listening to this, you know, they can definitely reach out to me via the, whether it's email or, you know, one of the social handles that we'll discuss later, um, you know, just to find out like what some of my insider tips are, like, you know, where you should go, where, you know, and I can get a better feel too. Like, well, what do you like? Like, what kind of wine do you like? Do you, what kind of, if you don't know what kind of wine you like, what kind of fruit do you like? Do you like dark fruit? Do you like bright red fruits? Do you like citrus fruit? Do you like tropical fruits? And then I can kind of help hone what area you might want to focus on and, you know, within that area, what wineries would be, you know, advantageous. And I mean, again, I've been a couple, I've been a few times, but, you know, this is coming from my point of view, gotcha. but I would definitely be open for that. So, and you actually just made me think of something too, because I know that you absolutely love to travel. Um, it brings me to why I love wine and why someone like you and those like you who love to travel can get into wine. Wine is your passport. You can literally go anywhere in the world with a bottle of wine. This is true. And get a true, authentic expression of a region, of a culture. Um, you can go to Argentina, Chile. You can go to South Africa. You can go to France. You can go to Italy, Spain, Australia. You can go to the West Coast. You can go anywhere within the 30 degree, the 50 degree latitude um, area where wine grapes are grown. And you can do it in the comfort of your home. That's actually <laughs> a really good point because yeah. I've, I mean, I've had wine in Italy. It was amazing. I've had wine in Spain. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. <laughs> like, no matter yeah. where you go, you can always find a good bottle of wine. And I think my first, was my first time in Italy, I think I brought back like two bottles of wine and mm -hmm. in fact um i think this is funny because i've never told any i don't think i've told anyone this because <laughs> i don't think any i think people would judge me a bit but you might like judgment free yeah them. i think you might really <laughs> like this um so when we were in south africa um my one friend was already there and she like planned this whole like wine tour day in cape town and we went to some mm -hmm. very beautiful vineyards um i think the one we had lunch at the, the takara estates was absolutely phenomenal mm. so then we went to this one we got so <laughs> and um we went to we'd gone to see like some other parts of the um the country and the countryside and the tour guide took us to um Const i think it's constantia Okay. And it was, I think it was our last stop on this wine tour. And this wine was so amazing. It was really sweet, though. Mm, um, okay. But it's, it's a. Uh, was it a Chenin Blanc? Or they call it Steen over there? Yeah. S T E. And um, Blanc. it was $65 <laughs> American Yay. dollars. Uh, <laughs> That's how I know I was drunk one. Right. I don't even like wine, but I bought this $65 bottle of wine. <laughs> but the guy was saying that they only make 500 bottles of this wine a year. 
and mm-hmm. he's like, you know, people hold on to them for five years, sell them for six hundred dollars, mm-hmm. or yes. they'll like use it for um, a very special occasion. So. Mine okay. is still up there. It's been a year now, almost. Okay. <laughs> it's still in the box. It's a very. So you went last year. What was the vintage? What vintage year was it? I want to say you it know. was like 2004. Oh, oh okay. I think okay. I, I, I would have to look at the bottle. I literally have not opened okay. this box since I got back because I'm still like, <laughs> I spent $60 oh, <laughs> on a bottle of wine. But I, I do have to look. Maybe it's not. I could be making it up. But I, I want to say from the conversation, that's what I think. But um, okay, yeah, and it was like some type of blend that they developed by accident, but it, it's very precious for them so my friends uh-huh. we agreed that we would open it when the first one of us got engaged because another girl she got one too that's dope that's so we dope. said whoever gets engaged <laughs> first right the clock is on that's the wool pop it he'll be having sitting on this wine for 10 months for 10 years <laughs> i don't know oh, great we're going we'll okay. see. <laughs> hilarious yeah i definitely okay. want to get to napa um yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's crazy. I remember I always have an issue regulating my body temperature because there are just all these microclimates. Like you'll literally drive 10 minutes and you're, you know, you're sweating and then you'll drive, you know, another 10 minutes and you need your jacket again. Like it's just, it's just and that's what makes Napa Sonoma and, you know, the really prestigious wine um, countries or wine regions of the world. That's what makes them so amazing is that they all have their own little um, stories to tell, whether it's the temperature or the soil or you know the amount of rain that they get it's just really cool like and that's why I genuinely um really latch on to the travel component because you know so you travel to Italy or you travel to you know wherever and I remember you saying that you're kind of on a leap from traveling right now from one of your previous podcasts you can relive that you can just literally go to your local wine store you can go to your local wine store and peruse the aisles and relive that you don't have to wait to go back that's a good point (laughs) you can literally have that moment all the time and use that to motivate you to make the next trip so yeah that is a good point i like it Mm -hmm. um so before we move forward because i feel like some of the questions and topics that i want to get to you're gonna start saying words and saying things that Uh might not mean things to people So I kind of want to do like a vocabulary test. So I'm going to throw out like a word and I want you to get like a one to two sentence definition. So people, as we move forward, people have a working knowledge of what you're saying. Okay. Let me throw out the disclaimer is that, you know, wine is the world of rabbit holes (laughs) where, you know, one particular, a, a term, you know, we try to keep it light and airy. So again, it's tangible and it makes sense. Um, to someone who doesn't, you know, isn't immersed into the wine world like I am. But at the same time, I always have to throw, for the most part, (laughs) because there's usually and always an exception to the rule, Um, (laughs) you know, whether it's wine laws or whatever the case might be. So that's my disclaimer. Shoot. Got it. Okay. So the first one is full-bodied. Okay. Full-bodied is a term that really references the weight of the wine on your palate. Your palate is your mouth, 
again, the simplest way of describing it. Um, you know, so a full-bodied wine is, you know, typically going to be reserved for a red wine, a red wine that may have seen some oak aging and tends to have a longer finish. So if I had to put it in the shortest context that I could, that would be it. In the realm of white wines, Chardonnay would be the most, for the most part, <laughs> would be the most full-bodied white wine because, again, um, that oak aging just imparts this uh, richness and this mouthfeel. And, again, I see the rabbit hole. <laughs> malolactic, fer malolactic fermentation. Like, you know, there's just this creaminess that happens um, that, again, Yep, Chardonnays and red wines tend to be full-bodied, <laughs> period. I was just going to ask, you just said the next word I was going to ask, creamy, because that's not a word that I would think about when you're talking right. about wine. Yeah, so, so the word creamy typically is used when you're talking about, you know, wines that go through malolactic, it's called malolactic fermentation. Um, Chardonnay is probably, you know, the wine that's most known for this. Red wines do go through it as well. So the um, so pretty much what, what malolactic fermentation does is it gives the wine a creamy texture. So all that means is if you hold the wine on your palate, um, it just, kind of has, I don't want to say milky, but it just has like this heavier weight. When we kind of talked about full body, okay. um, it gives the Chardonnay like kind of a creamier mouthfeel, um, softer mouthfeel. Chardonnay, if it's unoaked and there's no mallow in and of itself is a, you know, kind of a, sh I won't, sharp may not be the right word, but um, it's a more tart, varietal grape. Um, you get lots of apple and pear. Um, I actually recommend that for people who say they don't like Chardonnay. I'm like, you might want to just try an unoaked or a low oak Chardonnay um, because it's an oak treatment that you're probably not crazy about. That buttery creaminess, maybe that's not your jam. But if you tried an unoaked or low oak, you'd actually be surprised yeah, um, that there's some really pretty fruit in a regular Chardonnay that has no oak treatment on it. So, um, hell, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> you answered it with just creaminess. Yeah, what is creamy? creaminess? What is creamy? Yeah. Yes. So that's my long ass answer. <laughs> creamy. Lord. Okay. Right. <laughs> Next one, blend. Okay. Blend is easy. Um, blend is, um, whether it's white or red, it's just a, you know, combination of several grapes that make that wine. So it can be, um, you know, I'll use one of the wines that I currently market. Um, it's called Justin Isosceles. It's a Bordeaux inspired red blend and it's Cabernet Sauvignon, Cab Franc and Merlot. Mm. Um, you know, we reference it as a blend and, you know, same thing with the white wine. It's just not, it's just not one grape. Um, there's laws and things that get involved, you know, what's the percentage of a wine, what's the percentage of the grape that's in a wine before you can call it X, Y, Z. Um, blends, you know, kind of just do their own thing. That's why they just say, you know what, I can't call this a Cabernet, even though I have you know, 70% of this wine is Cabernet. I can't call it a cab, so I'm going to call it a blend. So that's just a gotcha. marketing tactic to, you know, because, I mean, even for, yeah, no, we'll leave it there. So blend is just a combination of multiple grapes in a wine. Multiple grapes in a wine. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I hope I'm saying this right. 
and it's so funny because I went on YouTube and typed in how to pronounce um, mm-hmm. tannins. Yeah, tannin. Okay. Tannin um, is a poly. <laughs> okay. Uh-oh. Tannin is a polyphenol that is found in the grape skin, the grape stems, and the grape seeds. Um, tannin is a uh, astringent, bitter um, component of red wines. Um, it's also imparted into the red wine um, during the oak aging process. So tannin literally is think if you bite into um, if you bite into a grape and you haven't really like washed the grape off. I mean that's blasphemy. You always wash your grapes, <laughs> but you know there's kind of like a film and um, it dries your mouth out. Um, that's what tannin is. Tannin literally dries your palate. Um, and in parts like kind of like a bitterness. So, you know, Cabernets, like Napa Valley Cabernets are known for being very tannic wines. Um, um, there's a grape called Nebbiolo that's from Italy that's actually, you know, supposed to be the most tannic grape um, just in the realm of, I've heard Master Samoye use the term furry sweaters on your teeth. So when you sip this wine, are you getting like this big wool angora sweater on your teeth or are you getting more of a tight knit poly blend? Mm. That's kind of the range of how tannin is and how you can interpret it on your palate. But that's really what it comes down to. Tannin is the drying sensation that happens in your mouth when you take a sip of red wine. Gotcha. Okay, the last one I had was vintage. You always people throw that around like, oh, it's a vintage blah, blah, blah. So what exactly does that mean? Vintage is the year that the grapes were grown and harvested. The grapes that are in that particular wine bottle were grown and harvested. Vintage becomes important when you look at vintage years. Um, case in point, California is going through, you know, they're just coming out of a pretty major drought. And, you know, while, you know, for people that are trying to live and thrive, that's not ideal. <laughs> but for a uh, wine grower or a winemaker, it's amazing because the vines get super stressed out during uh, a drought. Mm. So, you know, that being said, if the you want your vine stressed out because the more stressed out the wine, the grapevine is, the smaller the berry is going to be. And that's going to give you a much bolder fruit concentration. So, you know, from all, for the most part, you know, the last, I'd say since 2012, 13, 14, 15 have been really, really great vintages um, for California wines. Um, I mean, we'll throw that for the most part out there, um, contingent on the region, but the drought has been, you know, great for that. Um, I'll throw champagne in there as a point of reference. Most champagnes are non-vintage. Um, sidebar champagne is only called champagne when it comes from the champagne region of France. I did know that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. Anywhere else, you know, there are a number of different names for them. You know, if it's in Spain, it's called Cava. If it's from Spain, it's Cava. If it's from Italy, it's called Prosecco. Um, you know, if it's outside. You just taught people things because I don't think a lot of people knew that. Yep. 
Yep. And if it's, you know, there's other names for even outside of, you know, the Champagne region. If it's a French sparkling wine contingent on where it's from, it could be called a Cremant. So what I find in the, I'm going to step back to vintage, but, you know, if you're ever in a setting when you're in the restaurant and you want, a, you know, a glass of bubble, bubbles or bubbly, I simply just ask for, you know, what's your sparkling wine by the glass? Unless they're a fine dining restaurant, it's not going to be a Champagne okay. because Champagne is too expensive to have by the glass. Um, but if you say what's your sparkling wine by the glass, it just makes you look it makes you look hip and that you know what you're talking about because you know it's more than likely if it's a by the glass bubble is going to be a cava or a prosecco or something. And it's, that it's effect. funny that you say that um, champagne by the glass. I went to the Vuv uh, Polo Classic. Um, what was that like two weeks ago now? And yeah, 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 New York. Yeah, right? and uh, <laughs> they definitely were selling it by the glass, but it was an amazing markup. Um, uh-huh. But I think it was like I think <laughs> they had their new um I can't remember how much yellow label was or the rose, but uh-huh. I got a glass of the Riche Rose. It was twenty eight dollars uh-huh. a glass. <laughs> That's about right. But that Riche Rose right. was amazing. Amazing. Like I need yeah. bottles of that now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But, but that's consistent like if you go to a restaurant and they actually have champagne by the glass it's typically going to be at least 20 plus yeah. at least so more than likely if it's like the seven eight dollar by the glass bubbles it's going to be Psycho. a prosecco <laughs> or a cava but yeah so when my jumping back to vintage real quick champagne for the most part you're going to see non-vintage so if you look at your moets if you look at your vooves like a yellow label, Vuv, you just came from the Polo Classic, non-vintage. There's no vintage year on there. The reason being is, um, the, the reason for it is that it's a blend. So, you know, Champagne is a very, has a very uh, tumultuous, cli- tumultuous client, climate. Um, you know, they may or may not have a great year, so they have to use reserves from previous years to make the house blend so that every bottle tastes consistent. And that's why they don't do vintages unless it was an amazing vintage year. So if you see a champagne bottle that has a vintage year on it, um, and you want to spend a little dough and celebrate something, you know, grab it because most champagne bottles are going to be non-vintage. Well, that was a good lesson there. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know earlier I said that I have a very basic knowledge, and I think most people do. Um, I feel mm-hmm. like this wine culture is just starting to peak a bit. Um, it really is. And <laughs> you see people more and more, buy, like in the liquor stores, buying wine, and usually see them grabbing yellowtail or barefoot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so does that make your skin crawl or do you think that no. there are some real, that's like a good introductory way no. to get into wine? <laughs> <laughs> you know, listen, this is a judgment-free zone. So everyone has to start somewhere. And if you're really trying to discover what your taste profile is, what it is that you like, you know, nine times out of 10, you're either gonna be starting from the sweet to dry scale with something on the sweeter side. And, you know, because you don't wanna break the bank spending money on wines that you don't know whether you're gonna like or not, you know, you gotta start with the, you know, the lower budget wines. There's no judgment in that. You know, my very first experience with wine was Boone Farms, White Zinfandel ah, yay, in college. <laughs> yay, you know? <laughs> yeah, I can look back and judge myself, but, you know, 
that's what growth is about. So, you know, everyone has to start somewhere. And then my number one rule when it comes to wine is everybody's right. Listen, it can be a $100 bottle of wine and you give it to five different people and everyone's going to have a slightly different um, perspective and view on that wine. It's because of their own taste. Everyone has their own specific taste profile and what wines or what, you know, things are going to appeal to them. So if someone says this $100 wine tastes like poo, well, guess what? (laughs) To them, it tastes like poo and they're right. Everyone, everyone else might look at them like they're crazy, but you know, I'm the one that's going to be in the circle. I'm like, you know what? Everyone's entitled to their opinion. Let's find something that you do like. So, you know, that being said, when it comes to the entry level wines or the um, economy level wines, um, the reason I guess that brings us to why does wine range in price the way that it does? Um, and the main reason for economy wines is that it's, it's made in a bulk fashion. Okay. You know, the grapes are picked mechanically, um, you know, as opposed to oak aging, where like an oak barrel can easily cost around $1,500 a pop. Um, you know, some wines, some wineries may just throw oak chips in the, the actual wine must to, you know, give that uh, oak aging component or, you know, taste profile. Um, everything is, I mean, they, I mean, they filter, they filter and find the wine, you know, it's clarified. They, you know, they, they can't just send you wood chips in the wine bottle, (laughs) but you know, there, if you're getting a wine that is more cost effective, I try not to use the word cheap. If you're getting a wine that's more cost effective then cost effective, um, methods were used to make the wine, if that makes sense. So the more that you're spending, the more, you know, care is going into the making of that wine. So as I mentioned, if a wine gets, you know, a year to two years of, you know, oak aging, an oak barrel, one oak barrel can cost $1,500 a pop. Yeah, they're going to have to get that money back in some way, shape or form where the hand, where the grapes hand picked and hand sorted because that's labor. Um, you know, what kind of techniques were used for the, you know, the fermentation process for, you know, the bottling of the wine, all of that goes into the ultimate price, the real estate. You know, Napa Valley real estate is super expensive. So, you know, if you're going to get a Napa Valley cab, you're going to pay more for it because of the real estate, because that's such a prestigious area. Um, You know, whereas if you get something that might be Central Coast or a little bit, you know, wider of a, what we call a AVA, American Viticultural Area, you know, they can kind of pick and choose where they want. So you're not going to have to spend that much money. Or if you just have a wine that says California, <laughs> meaning that the wines, the grapes that are in that wine came from all over the state. Yeah, they may not, you know, have picked the creme de la creme. They're just trying to get their signature, you know, wine that has the same taste every year, regardless of vintage, out to you. And, you know, that's what it comes down to when you're talking about entry-level wines versus, you know, when you start getting into the higher-level, more expensive wines. Um, But... I think Yellowtail and Barefoot and Behringer, they all have their place because, again, you have to start somewhere. And, um, you know, my hope is that, you know, in, you know, consistent dialogue, you don't stay there. If you want to stay there, then by all means, if you like this particular wine and you know that that's the wine that you like, then go for it. But I want to try to help, you know, broaden your minds and your palate. So I, I think, you know. I like how you say it, entry level, economy level. It's very sophisticated. But I think (laughs) the 
most, well, I'm going to say probably two, but the most entry-level wine is Moscato. And <laughs> it gets a bad rap. It's delicious. I've drank it. it. Mm-hmm. I mean, who has it? Gets it gets a bad rap. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. I think some people's um some people's experience with wine starts and ends with Moscato. So mm-hmm. how like what what's an like an, a comparable wine that would be like the next step up and why does Moscato get a bad rap? <laughs> you know, it's funny because when I got into the industry, that's right around the time that Moscato just blew up. <laughs> I mean, everybody was making one because they saw that it was hot. And, um, you know, again, when you're starting on your wine journey, most people start on the sweeter side. Um, you know, like I said, my first wine, I mean, Boone's Farms White Zinfandel isn't necessarily sweet per se, but you have to start somewhere that it's a- approachable and appealing to you. So Moscato, it got a bad rap just because it, the, the, it just, the market just got saturated and, you know, it got a bad rap too, you know, being in the restaurant world, you know, I've seen it where, you know, a server will see a table of, you know, black women and say, oh, Moscato, I've seen it, <laughs> and I've seen it. I've seen it and I've made it my life's mission to ensure that you don't ever walk up to me and say no mess like that. Like, you know, whatever <laughs> sound bites that I have to give to the server or whoever to know that, yeah, I'm not there. Don't come to me with that. That's fine. <laughs> I'm here for that. But, you know, again, you got to start somewhere. My biggest beef with Moscato is that I'm a calculated drinker. Moscato typically is 5% alcohol. Mm. So you got that big old bottle and it's 5% alcohol. I might as well just drink a beer um, for the same amount of alcohol. Gotcha. Whereas that's that's my biggest beef with it. You know, Moscato on a hot summer day is super refreshing. You know, there are some Italian Moscato diastes that have a little bit of, you know, what they call frizzante or a little bit of bubble to it that are just so refreshing and so good. But... I don't want to, you know, waste my wine glass on 5% alcohol. I want something that has a little more kick. People think they're really doing it, though, when they get the Moscato di Asati. Like, that's... I mean, they might just just be, you know, have a, a, a... They're not daily drinkers like myself yeah like you have (laughs) a way more sophisticated palate but it's funny i'm still humble though because you know i know my place in the echelon of the wine world like (laughs) and that's why i that's why i love wine so much is that you know there's always something to learn like you know i'll be in some circles and you know my girlfriend's like oh my gosh sarissa you know so much i'm like yeah (laughs) i do yeah but then i get around like you know some of my colleagues and i'm like Yeah, (laughs) I'm going to sit here and soak this in. But, you know, that being said, so say that you're, you know, you're just starting your wine journey or you've been on your wine journey and Moscato is your deal. I just want you to just venture out a little bit more. Like even when I've gone to, I've done countless trade shows and wine festivals and I always get the question, do y'all have anything sweet? And my (laughs) response to that is I don't have any wine that's sweet, but I do have wine that's fruit forward. So I really want people to think of that term when they're trying their wine to think fruit forward. It doesn't have to be sweet to still exhibit fruit. So to answer your question, you know, Riesling is, you know, a great next step from Moscato. Specifically, you know, like German Rieslings, um, you know, 
German Riesings can range in super dry to, you know, very sweet. But, um, you know, German Riesling is a great place to go if you're trying to venture out and try something new. And the beautiful thing about wine is why, why wouldn't you try something new? Like, it's so easy to. Um, I also, it's funny, you research and get high on your own supply. So Gewürztraminer <laughs> was a, a wine that came up, you know, while I was kind of doing some research of where to direct people to go for wines that, you know, aren't Moscato and they want to start to, you know, venture out. Gewürztraminer, um, it's spelled G-E-W... U-R-S-T-R-A-M-I-N-E-R. It's a popular wine in um, the Alsatian region of France. And also there's, you know, some love in Germany as well. But, you know, that's a wine that has like some really cool, I mean, if you're into exotic flavors like lychee. So I bought one today that was on sale and there's like mango and tropical fruit in here. Mm -hmm. And it's very fruit forward. It's, you know, I will say it's sweeter than I anticipated because the fruit is so present, but it's 12.5% alcohol. So you, Boom. So yeah, you're like, <laughs> let's, let's get the most bang for our buck. I think I want to get the bang for my buck. That's my thing with Moscato. I want to get the bang for my buck. It, buck. And the last wine that I would say to try is um, an Argentinian grape called Torrantes, T-O-R-R-O-N-T-E-S. Um, those wines are, you know, really nice and fruit forward. And again, you just have to have an open mind and not think sweet, think fruit. You know, I'm getting, am I getting tropical fruit in this? Am I getting stone fruit like peach and apricot? Am I getting pineapple? Am I getting mango? Am I, you know, what am I, what else is, am I getting? It doesn't mean that those fruits are in the wine. That's what the great. So, okay. Gets. Okay. You went there and I had this written down. Mm -hmm. Like, how, <laughs> how do you get to the point? in your your discovery with wine where you can taste and not even only taste but when you you smell the wine that you can pick up the hints of the fruit or the oak or the pepper or whatever that mm -hmm. flavor is in the wine like like yeah practice makes perfect is the best answer for because, that practice makes perfect and you know especially i mean if we want to be truly, you know, mindful of our coins, you know, take the time and, you know, if you're going to go to a wine shop or go to Total or whatever the case might be, you know, you know, I'll go and just I'll allot the time because, again, this is I want to make sure that I know what I'm getting and I'll Google the wine just to see, like, you know, what the taste profile is on the wine, you know, what the wine notes are on that particular wine, if I'm not familiar with it, just so if I just so I'll know that it's, you know, going to be something that I like. My world right now is trying to expand my horizons and, you know, get myself out of my comfort zone and trying wines that aren't necessarily my knee-jerk reaction to reach for. Okay. But at least if I know from whether it's Google or, you know, the taste, Total is really good with having tasting notes at the wine, you know, right where the wine is, um, you know, and take a picture of it and take that home with you. So when you open up the bottle, you can reference that. Like, that's what happened for me. I was a uh, Working at a restaurant, I was a manager um, at the Ocean Air in uh, Baltimore at the time. And my GM at the time, he took me to a trade show. And it was this room of like 20, at least 20 suppliers that all had like six wines on their table. And, you know, we went around to each table 
And I, <laughs> I got really happy <laughs> and I say happy instead of tipsy <laughs> because it was a litigation because I saw people, you know, swirling and sniffing and spitting the wine out into buckets. And I'm like, oh God, no, I am not spitting into a bucket because God forbid something splashes up on me. Mm. I am going to lose it. The germaphobe in me is going to lose it. So I was like, oh, I'll just take a little sip. And, you know, within like the third or fourth table, I'm done. But what he did for me, which was so clutch, and this is why I say, if you get the notes, take a picture and, and reference it for when you open the bottle, I would smell the wine and he started turning off stuff for me. He's like, oh, I get blackberry with this wine. I get black cherry. I get black currant. And as he said it, I could smell it. Like I knew uh -huh. I was smelling something. Yeah, like I knew I was smelling something, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And it wasn't until he started naming it that it opened up for me. So, you know, I can't be with each and every one of you every time you have a glass of wine. But, you know, that being said, when you do purchase your bottles, bottles or whatever, um, make a point to find out what the tasting notes are and that's how you can educate yourself and all you have to do is google it if they don't have it sitting you know where the uh, the wine display is gotcha yeah because i feel like that's another part that's intimidating to people if yeah. you're watching someone like letting their wine breathe and then they sniff it and they're like oh i smell the apricot and you're like it just tastes good to me <laughs> yeah so it's yep. definitely something that you have to practice and yeah it is practice all day yeah so I'm, day. I, that's something I mean. that i'm working on where i think um i want to say it was the waterford state at the wine tasting we did in south africa like i thought they mm -hmm. did a really good job of helping you to get there like he wasn't forcing you to say like <laughs> oh I, you know right. I, I i taste the green apple like you know Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but they kind of like the way they had it laid out. They had like a placemat, and they had the glasses already set. And so, like when you picked up your glass underneath it, kind of show you what you, they wanted you to look for, and that did help Absolutely. have like a nice little guide to be like, you know what? Oh, I do. And then you know, someone else was like, well, I don't smell that, but I smell plums. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, taking the time to, you know, wine is, again, practice makes perfect. The more you drink it, the easier it gets. Um, you know, go to the different wineries. Like, you know, I know in Maryland, there's Bordy, there's Linganore, I believe it's Dijon. Um, you know, take the time to go and, you know, for like maybe 10 bucks or so, um, I'm, well, maybe it's a little bit more, 15 to 20 bucks, you can do the tasting. Or check it to your, like, your local wine, wine stores. Shop. Yeah, a lot of them. Yes, your local really wine nice. shops are always doing tastings. At least, you know, once a week, a local boutique wine shop is doing a tasting. And, you know, that's another great way to, you know, really start to awaken your palate and begin to understand what it is you like. And, you know, again, it starts with, you know, okay, I like fruit. What kind of fruit really, you know, gets me happy? Is it peaches? Is it apricots? Is it pineapple? Is it cherries? Is it strawberries? Is it, you know, apple? Is it pear? Um, you know, that, if you tell somebody that, you know, someone who's in the wine business, a wine professional, they can help direct you into the, you know, what you might want to try that's off the beaten path and different from what you would normally drink. Gotcha. And so I think too, I've been seeing like this summer, the it thing is rosé. 
and oh, yeah. um, you know, white people are being absurd and selling forty ounce rosé. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, I, I can't. <laughs> like, that is no, completely man. absurd. And you know, no, I think it's not here for. I read it. here, no. like, um, maybe it was like two years ago. It was Marketing. one of the guy, a restauranteer in Baltimore. He trademark frosé, which is pretty much frozen mm-hmm. rosé. Mm-hmm. That's like a Slurpee. So, yeah. what is your like? Do you do you have a preference or uh, a selection for rosé? Since that's the it drink right now. I'll tell you what. I actually haven't met a rosé that I haven't liked. <laughs> I'm a rosé girl. I love me some rosé. It's funny because you know white Zinfandel is technically the first rosé. Really? <laughs> if you think about it, yeah. So rose. So okay. Everybody did go. drink white Zinfandel. <laughs> yes, white Zinfandel was the and it literally is Zinfandel, but they didn't keep the wine on the the skin, the grape skin, as long. That's how it turned out, kind of pink. So one little fun fact, and then you know we'll move on from there. All grape juice comes out clear when the grapes are pressed. When they're harvested and pressed, the grape juice comes out clear, really? whether it's a white wine or a red wine, whether it's a white grape or a red grape. Yes. The difference in the color of a wine versus a white wine versus a red wine is skin contact. It's called maceration. So when that occurs with red wines, the juice is literally extracting the color from the grape skin. Whereas with white wines, for the most part, <laughs> the skins are removed right away. So with rosé, there's a little bit of skin contact, but then they remove it so that it doesn't turn red. But yeah, all grape juice, for the most part, comes out clear or what you would consider a white wine color. If there's Mm -hmm. ever a category about wine on Jeopardy, there's no reason (laughs) after listening to this, you did not answer all of them correct. No, but what I will say for rosé, my my favorite region is... uh, like Southern France, Provence. Mm-hmm. Provence rosés are really cool. And again, it's just, you know, a way for you to be able to go to Southern France. And it's funny. <laughs> for On the low low. I'm so sad. <laughs> like, Kimmy and I were in Southern France. And, well, she I was know. preggers. So we couldn't even get to try any. But I brought home a ton of lavender for Provence. So oh yeah yeah, that was exciting so next time i go back Mm -hmm. i'll bring home rosé and more lavender absolutely (laughs) yeah that's my favorite area for rosé again i haven't met a rosé that i don't like and everyone's doing it now but um you know provence is i won't i feel like it's kind of you know the place where rosé was really got really got hot. When I started drinking rosé, I wanted people to know that I wasn't drinking white Zinfandel. Like, I'm not drinking white Zinfandel. I'm not drinking white Zinfandel, people. This is a rosé. rosé. So have you, I saw on, it was making its rounds on social media. Have you tried this, like, amazing $8 rosé from Aldi? Like, I haven't. I haven't, but you know, I, I'm not I'm not opposed to it, but I have not look, tried it. Someone's <laughs> gonna have to buy it. I went inside of an Aldi like one time and made a loop and walked right back out. Like I just can't do that store, I'm sorry. I, I hear you. Maybe I don't even know if they have them down here. I remember seeing them when I lived in Baltimore. Oh my god! I was like, everyone talked about that grocery store, and I I just could not. Maybe if I can just like <laughs> walk to that section, I don't know, and, uh-huh. and go. But it, it's not the grocery store yeah. for me. 
I'm not gonna, if I run, if I see an Aldi, I'm not gonna say I'm gonna run in just so I can try it. If it comes across my path, then I will, you know, be gracious and try it, but I'm not gonna You're not gonna you. seek it out. Yeah, I was just curious right. because. Kind of like the whole patty pie phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what? I'm If a patty pie comes across my table, I'm gonna try it, you know but what? I'm not gonna I go s- look for no patty pie. I still pie. haven't <laughs> had the patty pie. <laughs> Me neither. Me neither. I heard great things, but nope. <laughs> if I cross paths with it, cool. If not, Cool. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's there's so much other wine out there that I'm not gonna go out of my way to try the Aldi one, but I will take everyone's word for it because again, everyone's right when it comes to wine. <laughs> <laughs> so before we close out, I think you've given everyone like a breadth of knowledge and so much stuff. Like I even learned stuff that I'm like, ooh, I should try that. So I want to say, mm-hmm. what are like your top three tips you would give someone for selecting a good wine? Okay. Um, what are you eating? Number one. <laughs> um, are you just enjoying the wine by itself, which is perfectly appropriate, or are you eating it with something? Um, or drinking it with something, I should say. So, you know, and again, rabbit hole. <laughs> Typical rule of thumb, gosh, there's always an exception. Typical rule of thumb is, you know, white wines go with, you know, fish and you know poultry red wines tend to go with you know red meat steaks lamb stuff like that but you can play in that world like you can easily have an amazing pinot noir with salmon you know so there's always exceptions to the rule but what you're eating is going to be a big part of it because what you're eating can complement or not (laughs) the wine um and the food um what do you like you know if you you know what fruits do you like that's going to be a big part of it as well you know cabernets you know traditionally are known to have like you know big bold black fruits like you know blackberries black currant black cherries you know um, obviously they're going to be on the drier side but if you really like those kinds of fruits you can find the fruit in there um and lastly i would just say you know explore and have an open mind you know don't get pigeonholed into the same thing. There is so much wine out there. And again, if you really truly embrace travel and you know wanting to explore the world, there's no easier way to do it than with wine. So have an open mind, try it. I mean, if nothing else, you don't like the wine, maybe you spent 15 to 20 bucks on it. Okay, you know not to try that one again. Um, but don't let that deter you from continuing to you know try new things and explore. Um, I started with, you know, with White Zen (laughs) and Riesling, and now, you know, I'm all over the place where I have an appreciation for, you know, contingent on what I'm eating, where I'm at, what's the occasion, for, you know, all kinds of wines, but I had to start somewhere. And if I can do it, you know, never being exposed to it growing up, um, you know, really getting immersed into it within the last seven years, anybody else can. It's just a matter of, you know, is it something that's important to you? Do you want to be able to have those conversations with, you know, your colleagues and, you know, the C-level execs? Do you want to be able to go to a dinner and pick out an amazing wine for the table and everyone knows that you're hella hip? I think so. Yeah, and it's I, on you. And I think when you say that, like, you know, impressing people, you know, wine, becoming versed in wine is cheaper than learning how to play golf, so... <laughs> well, you know what, Adrian, you just brought up such a great point. 
Where do business deals take place? You're either breaking bread or you're of on the course, golf course. Yeah. Pick one. Pick one. So I think- and even if it's not wine, it could be bourbon. Maybe bourbon's your thing. Because bourbon, I mean, down here in the South, bourbon is huge. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's cognac. Maybe cognac's your thing. Cognac actually does come from grapes. Um, but, you know, that's, find something. You know, alcohol, libation, and, you know, the business world, it has its place. Um, unless you work in a rehab facility then it <laughs> but you know in a corporate setting yes. you know you're going to be drinking and there's going to be conversations had and just having you know some knowledge can just go a really really long a way really long so. way so mm-hmm. before we wrap up if you can tell everyone where they can find you on the internets um, and drop, <laughs> um all of your locations i'll be sure to link these in the show notes guys so if you Perfect. miss it, don't worry. It'll be in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you. So the Lotus and the Vines is still in its beginning stages. But, you know, my main thing right now is I'm just doing these quick little, you know, minute videos to, you know, drop a little pearl here and there of knowledge. Um, so where you can find those are on my Instagram. Um, it's Mrs. M-R-S dot Lotus, L-O-T-U-S, N, the letter N, like Nancy, Vines, V-I-N-E-S. Um, I just launched my Facebook page literally this weekend, and that the handle on that is The Lotus and the Vines. And my website, which um, we're working on right now, is www.thelotusandthevines.com. So there is definitely a theme here. Yes. And I also have um, a YouTube channel, The Lotus and the Vines. <laughs> um, you can easily put that into the search engine on the YouTube on YouTube. And I have some longer videos. So, you know, again, for Instagram and Facebook, I have like these little, you know, short quips. But for um, YouTube, you know, the goal is to, you know, have a little bit more dialogue and a little bit more conversation so that I can go down the rabbit hole <laughs> and, you know, provide clarification where needed. So gotcha. Well, Mar- mm-hmm. Larissa, thank you for dropping by the Boonie Breakdown. So I appreciate everything. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for the opportunity. And again, if anybody needs to get in contact with me, just reach out to me via one of the social media outlets. And, you know, cheers. Let's let's explore this world together and, you know, have a seat at the table. And like, That's all. Like you said, wine <laughs> is your passport. So... I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. Thanks again, Larissa. (laughs) You're very welcome, my dear. I'll talk to you soon. I want to thank Larissa of the Lotus and the Vines for being an awesome guest again. Uh, I learned a ton of information, so I hope you did too. And I hope you feel a little bit more confident in trying another wine besides Moscato or making a selection at a dinner table when someone passed you the wine list. I know I do. So make sure you head to follow her on social media. And while you're at it, if you still haven't, follow the Boonie Breakdown on Facebook and Instagram. Don't forget those hashtags when you're sharing the podcast and including links. Uh, So that's it for me. Until next time.